Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. This morning, the title of my message is Trusting God, and we'll get to that in a moment. But first, let's hold our Bibles to heaven and say thank you, Father, for your holy written word. It's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your words are life to me and health to all of my flesh. I have what your word says I have. I am what your word says I am. I can do what your word says I can do. Holy Spirit, anoint my ears to hear my heart to receive and my mind to be open to the knowledge of the truth that makes me free. Quicken me according to the word. Change me from glory to glory. And I boldly say, I will never ever be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank God for his holy written word. Amen. In the book of Proverbs chapter 10 verse 25, and this is from the New Living Translation of the Bible, we are told, if the storms of life come, I'm going to make sure you're awake this morning. What's that first word? When the storms of life come, the wicked, they're whirled away. But the godly have a lasting foundation. Thank God for a lasting foundation. What's the most important part of a building? the foundation. If it's a church building, if it's a home that you're building, if it's a skyscraper, a business complex, or whatever it might be, nothing is more important than the foundation. Well, when it comes to a human life, the same thing is true. We need to have a solid foundation, without a doubt. Well, why is that? Because the storms of life come to all of us. No one is exempt from experiencing the storms of life. Can we all agree to that? Well, one of the uh, most important things to do if you want to have a lasting foundation in your life is what? Learn to trust God. It's so important that we learn to trust God. We've got to believe and have faith in the God that we serve. So if we want to have a good foundation when these storms come, according to Jesus, we must be a hearer of the word and a doer of the word so that we're not devastated by the storms, we're not overwhelmed. Especially when it seems like there are things that are not going right. For example, uh, there's two times we see things happening with Jesus in storms and also Paul. With Jesus, if you recall the time they were on the boat, and what did he say? He stopped the storm by speaking to the wind, the waves, and the sea. He said, peace be still, right? So you can speak to the storm, you can speak to the mountain or whatever, and that's one way. But also we saw in the Apostle Paul's life when he was in the storm for a long period of time, they had to ride out the storm in faith. Stay in faith and ride it out. Now it's wonderful when you speak to the mountain or storm and it immediately stops. How many of you are up for that one? Absolutely. But when it comes to riding out the storm, not so easy, is it? There's an opportunity to waver along the way like Peter when he began to sink. Well... It's important that we establish a good, strong foundation 
of trust in God, even when we're riding out the storm. Now, look in uh, the book of Psalms in 37 and verse 5, what it says. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. I've taught on this many times, and basically, I would point out this, the word tr commit. Commit your way to the Lord and trust, and that's important. Those two words are important. But I want to point out three words that are here that are the most important. First of all, Lord. Commit thy way to whom? The Lord. Trust also in whom? Him and He. 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 I want to put the emphasis this morning on this. Our focus on these three words. The Lord, Him, and He. He'll bring it to pass. Why? Because what's important is, of course, we know it's important to have faith. But our faith is not based on principles and just methods or formulas. Our faith is in a person. The person of God. Our faith is in a being called the living God. Not just in a principle or a formula. And I'm not saying it's not important to understand the principles and the, and the uh, formulas that we apply. The principles of faith in the word of God revealed to us that we have to apply them in our lives. But if they overshadow the person of God, then it's just something that we're going through mechanically. Can you see that? When I first got saved, uh, I shared this with you many times. Uh, Brother Jose Feliciano and his brother gave me a little New Testament that I took to my crane cab. And I started in the book of Matthew. When I started in Matthew, I went to chapter 4. I got to chapter 4, verses 23, 24, 25, right in there. And all of a sudden, I hit my, my knees, hit the, the cab floor, because I was actually floored by what I read. 24 years I was in church, I never saw that Jesus was compassionate toward the sick and healed all that were sick. And I just read those verses. They impacted me in such a powerful way. I dropped my knees to the ground, to the crane cab floor. And I just looked up and said, I can't believe I've never known how merciful, compassionate, caring, and wonderful you are. That you would heal. Read those verses. Everyone they brought to you, whether they had the palsy, whether they were lunatic, or they were uh, overcome with any kind of sickness or disease. And it was around the regions, round about. Every single one of them, he healed. And you know what? My faith at that point was based not on a principle or a formula, but on a person. The person of Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you what, it, it impacted me forever. You see, our faith is important. And what we believe is important. But who we believe in is more Amen. important. Amen. Who we are in Christ is important. But whose we are is more important. Look at 1 John chapter 3. Whose we are. Our faith is in God. We are sons of God. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knows us not, because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that has this hope, this wonderful verse, what should he do? Purify himself even as he is pure. In this, these verses, we see these two things. Number one, now are we sons. Sons. That's who we are. Well, if you're a woman, you're a daughter. We're sons and daughters. But then the next part is, whose we are? Of God. 
You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. That's the emphasis. Thank God we belong to him. Yes, I'm a son of Rose and Mike Anzavino. I know that. And they're in glory with the Father right now. But also, we're sons and daughters of God. That's whose we are, and that's who we belong to. Now, you think about that and what it means to you. Think about who he is. Now, when it comes to trusting him, it means that we have firm belief in his character, firm belief in his power, firm belief in his integrity. Those are three things when it comes to trust. So you're trusting a person, not a formula, not a principle, but a person. We are trusting God. That means we have to have a revelation of his character, of his power, and of his integrity. Because how can you trust someone that you don't know? If you got a paycheck, would you trust someone that you don't know what to take it to the bank and deposit it for you? Someone off the street, just say, here, take it over there and do that. No, you would never do that. You don't know them. You don't know their integrity. You don't know what they're liable to do. But when it comes to trusting God, if he wants me to trust him, I need to have a revelation of him. And which is why when we come to church, we need to learn from the Bible what it says about his character, about his power, about his integrity, so that we can develop a life of trust in him. And the same thing is true in the natural. So what I want to do is talk about those three things for just a little bit, but the first two just lightly, but the last one, the character of God, more so. So number one, when it comes to the power of God, how do I learn about the power of God? Go to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 32 and verse 17. We go to the Bible. Bible knowledge is extremely important if we are to develop a foundation of trust when it comes to the living God. Even right now, when there are many out there that we're, we're believing God, we're trusting God to do what? To see to it that the election is fair. Right? And you can't give up your faith in God, your trust in God. Okay, so let's look at this. Our Lord God, is he your father this morning? Is he your father this morning? Are you his son or daughter? Do you belong to him? Is he powerful enough to do what he says he was going to do? Well, let's find out. Behold, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for you. So when you say your father, this is who you're talking about. The one who made the universe and all that is in it. Look in Hebrews chapter 1, what it says about your father. God who at sundry times and diverse manners spake in times past to the fathers by the prophets, hath in his last days spoken to us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, upholding all things made by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. What is that saying? Not only has he created all things by his awesome power, but he upholds, maintains, and propels all things by the word of his power. I would say he's pretty powerful, wouldn't you? Absolutely. So we're trusting in and believing in someone, having faith in someone who created the universe and upholds it. That's why I have to laugh when I hear people saying, you never know what's going to happen to the world. Really? Yes, I do. Because you are not, and neither am I, big enough to do anything to damage this planet. Because we serve a God who created it and said, it's going to be as I say, not as man says. Secondly, his integrity. How do I find out about the integrity of God? Do I really believe 
in the integrity of God? Is he trustworthy? Well, let's find out. Look at the book of Numbers 23 and verse 19, what it declares. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? In other words, if he said it and you have it written down, or if he spoke it, once it re releases from his lips, he won't lie. He made a promise to Noah never to destroy the earth by a flood ever again. And guess what? He won't. He is faithful. And he has integrity. He's not going to lie. Now look at this. In Hebrews chapter 6. And this is from the New Living Translation of the Bible. Powerful. We're talking about trusting someone who is powerful. And trusting someone who is he's true. Now when the people take an oath. They call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. Now listen, God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could, not, could be perfectly sure, that's trust, that he would never change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchanging because it is impossible Everybody say that word. For what? For God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence, that's faith and trust, as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong, trust, trustworthy anchor. I love that, don't you? It's a strong, trustworthy anchor. Our soul is anchored in the integrity of God for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into, the, into God's inner sanctuary. Wow. All the way into the holiest place of all. When you and I acknowledge that God cannot lie, I'm trusting in a God who cannot lie. It's impossible for him to lie. That is an anchor for my soul that says, God said this, it has to be as he said. That's trust. You say, but all the circumstances dictate otherwise. That doesn't matter. What God says trumps anything else. Amen. He's trustworthy. Amen. So now we know that he is a God who has power. He's a God who has integrity. And but what about his character? How do I really see his character? Look at John's Gospel, chapter 1 and verse 18 from the Amplified Version of the Bible that says, No man has seen God at any time, the only unique Son, or the only begotten God who is in the bosom or the intimate presence of the Father. He's declared Him, and here it is. He has revealed Him and brought Him out where He can be seen. He has interpreted Him. He has made Him known. So once again, why is the Word of God important? Because in the Word of God, we have a revelation of God. We have a revelation of his character. How? In the person of Jesus Christ. Basically, what he is saying is this. John said this. He brought the invisible God into the realm of visibility where we can see him. Remember John said this too? I've seen him. I've touched him. I've handled him. I've heard him. I've watched him. In other words, I know his character. I know all of his attributes. So, we really want to see God all we have to do is go to the Gospels and go to the Gospels and see Jesus. And Jesus says, what if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. For example, in Matthew 14, 14, it says, And having compassion on all the sick, he healed everyone. What a characteristic. What an attribute of, of God. 
Now remember, anything that Jesus said, I did, he did because the Father he saw do. In other words, I am his exact representation here upon the earth. So if we want to really know his character and attributes, all we have to do is look at Jesus in the Gospels and we see it. So, his character. I really want to focus on his character. Number one, love. Love. The attributes of God. The characteristics of God. To know him is to know that he is love. Not has love. He is love. Love just pours out of him because love is his being. In your Bible, in 1 John 4, 7 and 8, we would never have this revelation if it were not given to us by Jesus to the Apostle John. But look what it says. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knows God. He knows God if he loves. He that loves not knows not God. Why? God is love. God is love. So, God being love can only love. And everything he does is motivated by his love for humanity. And then look at uh, Ephesians chapter 3 because his love has what I call endless dimensions. Sometimes if you say a dimension it can end, but I'm saying they're endless. But let's read the verses. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that you being rooted and grounded in what? Love. May be able to comprehend with all saints what is the what? Four dimensions. The breadth, the length, the depth, and the height, to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. <clears throat> Why? That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Any takers here this morning? One of you want to be filled with the fullness of God this morning. Anyone really want to be filled with the fullness of God this morning? Then we have to have a revelation of the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height of God's love. Because God is love. That's his attribute. It's his characteristic. Okay, let's, let's look at this. So, what are these dimensions? Number one. The breath of God's love. You should know the verse. John 3, 16. God so loved the what? The world. This is a companion scripture with Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 18 that says that length, the breadth, the depth, the height. God so loved the world is the breath of God's love. What does that mean? It doesn't matter where you live globally. You can live around the world in a, in a foreign land. Doesn't matter where you're at. God loves all humanity. That's the far reaching of the breadth of God's love. It, it just goes into every person's life. No matter whether you're Whatever your race is, whatever your creed is, doesn't matter who you are. If you're alive and you're breathing, God loves the world. And we need to let the world know that God loves them. But then there's the breath, that's the breath of God. Then there's the length of God's love. He loved the world that he gave his son. That's the length. To what length would he go to demonstrate or prove his love for humanity? It's called the incarnation, which we're celebrating here this month. The incarnation celebrates the length of God's love. Now think about this because you can't really wrap your brain around it. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 tells us what? Unto us a son was given. Unto us a child is born. Right? Well, that's, that's the incarnation. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And it goes on to talk about uh, the government placed upon his shoulders. But the length, what length would he go? God so loved the world, he gave his son. Which means this. The incarnation is motivated by love for humanity in such a way that God who is in the invisible realm wants to communicate to people that are in the visible realm, but he can't do that effectively. So he says, I will go there myself. I will 
leave this glory world behind. I will robe myself in flesh. I will walk upon the earth in human flesh, the God-man, the hypostatic union, deity, humanity, in the person of Jesus Christ, and I will speak to them directly. In these last days, he spoke to us by his son. And he reveals to us the characteristics of our father. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Can we bring that up? Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So we have a revelation now given to us that this is the God who loves us. So much that he would actually leave the glory world, robe in flesh, and come to here, this, this earth, and communicate to us his love. Not just with words, but in actions and deeds as well. Okay, and then thirdly, the uh, depth of God's love. To what depth would he go? That's the crucifixion. That's our Easter celebration, the crucifixion. Thank God that he loved us so much he would die for us so that we wouldn't perish. Look at Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. But God commended his what? Love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ did what? Died for us. So now we have the breath, the world, the length, the incarnation, the depth the crucifixion. And oh, there's no time to get into the crucifixion, but we know the sufferings of the Lord were more than any human being ever suffered and will ever suffer throughout eternity. But what's he communicating to us? His love. Look, I love you so much. Jesus said a man, greater love has no man than this that a man laid down his life for his friends and he died for us. That's a revelation of God's love in the person of Jesus in his death. That is called the depth of God's love. And here it is. Have you got your shouting clothes on? Yeah. He loves you enough because you're part of the world that he sent his son, the incarnation, who went to a cross where he suffered and died, the crucifixion. The resurrection reveals to us, hallelujah, the height of God's love for every single one of us here who is in the world. And where is it found? Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy, oh, I'll tell you what, people like to be rich. There's nothing more important than being rich in mercy. He is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, hath he quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. Ready for it? And hath raised us up to sit together with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Oh, you missed a good time to shout, praise God. Hallelujah. Practically, you're here in this church. Positionally, you are with him. Hallelujah. Boy, it doesn't get better than that, does it? That's a revelation of the height of the love of God. So when you say you're trusting someone, can you trust someone who loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you and then raised him up on the third day and when he raised him from the grave, he raised you with him also. And all you have to say is, I accept Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen as my Lord and Savior. So that's just a little bit of God's love. But secondly, his, we're talking about his characteristics now. He is love. Number two, he is a good father. He is a good, why am I saying a good father? Because we know on earth we don't always have a good father. Many don't have a good 
Father to relate to. But you know what? The Bible gives us a revelation of God being our what? Our Father, and we are His sons and daughters. He is a good, good Father. And so we see here in Scripture, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning of verse 16. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of God, as God hath said. Who said? What did God say? I will dwell in them. What? And I will walk in them. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. Wherefore come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you and will be a father. Whew. A father unto you. And you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Yeah. We're talking relationship here, aren't we? Guess what? God wasn't satisfied with living in the tabernacle of Moses in the wilderness. He wasn't satisfied with that. Then came along what? Solomon's temple. He wasn't satisfied with that either. Those are prototypes. But guess what? He had a plan in mind. And that plan was this. You see that Shekinah glory that manifested itself in the temple, in the tabernacle first, and then in the temple. When Solomon's temple was dedicated and they had a sacrifice, then the fire came down and the glory filled the place. Those were types. On the day of Pentecost. Oh, glory. Those who accepted Christ became the temple of the living God. And on the day of Pentecost, God moved in lock, stock, and barrel. He moved all the way into the human heart and became our God and Father. And we became His sons and daughters. And guess what? He's a responsible Father. Very responsible. Matter of fact, look at Matthew's Gospel, chapter uh, 7. His Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached. What does he say? Or what man is there among you if his son should ask bread, would he give him a stone? Or ask fish, would he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, natural human beings and parents or fathers, and know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Whew. Say those three words with me. How much more. How much more what? Shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask Him? You see, we're talking about trusting someone. If I make a promise to my children, I'm going to keep it. I'm going to follow through with it. Well, He's a more faithful Father than I could ever be. He's more loving than we could ever be. We're limited unless we love with His love. But he is a father to us, and he can be trusted. And so no matter what he says, is he walking in me? He said he is. Is he giving me good things if I ask him? He said he is. And he's got integrity. I have to believe that. And then, look at uh, Psalms 119. We're talking about being a good father. The good father. Thou art good, and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. There's a difference. He's good and does good. He is good and he does good. Think about that for a moment. He's not just good. 
He does good. He doesn't do evil. He doesn't create problems. He's good, and he does good all the time. All the time. And that's how we're to view him. Remember when um, Jesus was asked by the, uh, we called good master, and he said, there's only one that's good. Why are you calling me good? God. Man, he is good. Matter of fact, we're told in Scripture to praise the Lord for he is good and his mercies endure forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Not say I'm redeemed. Sometimes I think we get confused. It, he's not saying let the redeemed of the Lord say that I'm redeemed. Let the redeemed of the Lord say he is good and his mercies endure forever. So God is good is what he wants us to say. God is a good, good God. And he's a good, good father. Nahum, look at the book of Nahum, chapter 1, verse 7. This is from the New Living Translation. The Lord is good. And then it gives a reference to his goodness. He does good. What is it that he does? A strong refuge when trouble comes. He is close to them who, what? Trust in him. What am I trusting in? Him, in his goodness, in his love, in being a good father who takes care of his own, to be a refuge to us in time of trouble. He's not the troublemaker. He's the trouble eliminator. Can you say amen to that? So now, God is the God of love. God is the good Father. Look at James chapter uh, 1, and this says it all. Verse 16 and 17. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Clearly stated that God is a good, good God, and He does good, and every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. And if you had time to explore that, you could look it up for yourself. All it's talking about is anything and everything that He brings forth is good. It was not good that man should be alone. So what did He do? He brought something good into the realm of human experience, which was a wife for His man that He created. So God's a good Father. Look at the next attribute of God. He's faithful. God is faithful. 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 1, uh, verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So God is good and God is faithful. Faithful means He's dependable. Faithful means He's trustworthy or worthy of our trust. So thank God we can go to God knowing that He is unchangeable, we can trust him because he doesn't change. He's not going to uh, change his mind. We can count on him to do what he said that he would do because he is a God of integrity and he's a good father. So when we realize that, then what happens? We can trust him. Second, Second Thessalonians chapter 3, look at what it says. But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. He will do what? He, he will strengthen us and guard us from the evil one. I recently had to use that verse. My daughter yesterday, Carly, said, Dad, how about going for a walk with me? Sure. We'll take a little hike. Sure. When we got there, anybody been down at Brady's Run Park at the Devil's Climb? Did you ever hear that? The Devil's Climb? Mm hmm This wasn't a walk. The devil's climb goes like that for about two miles. And all the way up, I rebuked the devil. 
with every step. It's no longer called the devil's climb. It's called the saint's victorious climb. So, now right now, <laughs> I know I still have muscles in my legs and everything. And even though I work out all the time, that was quite a challenge. It ended up being a six-mile hike. Six miles. And to top it all off, when we got to the end, and we decided that since we already went six miles, we took the little short cut, got on the main road on, uh, is that Park Road or Brady's Run Road that, that leads over to the ice arena? And so we were walking and she said we could either go back up into the woods or we could just go straight here, which is closer. I took the shorter route <laughs> you know, to go to the closer one. And then humorously, my kids always tease me. Uh, Jason knows and Dante knows, they all know that I try to keep my father alive, you know, by using corn. Corny jokes. My father was the king of corn. You know. And so I, would, I said to Carly, well, we got to one place that said one way, and you know, that way. And I said, thank God, Carly, it doesn't say one way this way, because we got to go down there. We couldn't walk down there if it was one way. She just looked at me like. <laughs> so when we got a little bit further, it said, um, road out. Right there by the ice arena. They're fixing the road there. And I said, Oh, honey, we got to leave. We got to turn around and go the other way. It says the road's out. She said, Dad, that's for cars. I said, well, I was just kidding. Well, guess what? When we got there, we couldn't. We had to walk a half a mile back. I was ready to fall over by this time. We had to turn around, and she looked at me. She said, it wasn't funny, was it? Not at all. Oh, it was horrible to turn around and go back another half a mile to go all the way around. And right on the other side, you can see where the car was parked. I had to go another half a mile all the way around, back up into the woods and all that. In the time of trouble, rebuke the devil. And God is faithful to do what? Be our strength and help us and deliver us. And so praise God. But he is faithful. Now, look at Luke 22. I put this in here because it's important for us to know this. We're talking about trusting God and the kind of God we can trust. To trust Him, you have to know His character. That He is a God of love and that He is a good Father and that He's faithful. We need to know that. The Bible reveals that to us. But look at Luke 22. Jesus knows a few things, doesn't He? I would think. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan is desired to have you that he may sift you like wheat. There you go. That's what the devil wants to do to all of us. But I have prayed for you why? How? That your faith fail not. Of all the things that Jesus could have prayed for, that your faith fail not. Because when you're standing in faith for something from God, and it's not the instant thing, but you're standing in faith, and we know that time elapses and you don't receive it immediately. It's not one of those that you speak to the storm and it stops. It's one of those that you ride out the storm, like Paul said, 14 days have gone by. Trust God. Trust me. What I'm saying to you, that God is going to see to it. Not one hair in our head is ever going to be lost. He's going to save every one of you. But you've got to trust Him. You've got to believe in Him. So I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. And when you're converted, strengthen your brethren. Satan comes to what? Still kill and destroy. He comes to remove us from the realm of faith. So that we're out of faith and we're vulnerable to him. But he says, I am your 
want your help in time of trouble. I am a good God. I'm a faithful God and I'll be there for you and I'll see to it that I pray for you that you're faithful or not. What does that tell me? Our faith can fail. And Jesus knows it. And guess what? It's not on his end because he doesn't fail and he doesn't change, right? God never fails. But we've got imperfections. Can anybody admit that? We can fall short, right? Because we have our humanness to us. But he can't and he won't. Next one. Not only is he faithful, he is unchanging. He's a God of love. He's a good father. He's faithful. He's unchanging. Malachi chapter 3 verse 6. I think we should know it. By now, for I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, the sons of Jacob are not consumed. How important is that to know? If he changes, they'd be consumed. If he was someone who could change, they would have been consumed because of their rebellion and disobedience. But he doesn't change. He's still merciful to those that are merciless. If they repent. If they don't repent, then there's no mercy for them. But he is merciful as well as unchanging. Look at James 1.17 one more time. In this verse, we have a revelation of him being a good God. Yes, but notice this. Every good and perfect gift from above comes down from the Father of lights. There's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. He is using the universe that he created to give us an illustration of his unchanging nature. That when God says something, that's the way it is. And you can look at it this way. He set in motion everything. The sun, the moon, the stars, and, and all their actions and activities that are out there in the universe. And the vast reaches of space. And guess what? Everything is intact ever since his creation. Nothing changes. That's why I'm saying we're not going to destroy the earth. No matter how, how many men think that we're going to destroy the earth. We're not going to destroy the earth. Only one that's going to destroy the earth is God by a fire when he comes again. In the renovation of this whole world. Right? But he uses the universe to say, look, not even a shadow of turning. We have shadows in here today. Not a shadow of turning. As you see the universe function and operate from the beginning of its creation, it's the time I set it in motion, how my word upholds the universe with the word of my power, and it's unchanging. Every day you can go to bed at night, wake up in the morning, and guess what? It's still out there doing its thing. The moon's doing its thing with the tides and all that, and its impact upon the earth. The sun's doing its thing as far as its impact in the earth, unchanging. God's unchanging. He will never change. So I said, well, he might not know you. No, no, might. No, no, might. He won't. If he made you a promise, he won't change. He's, he's constant, unchanging, steadfast, immovable, dependable. He doesn't change at all. Why is that important to know? Because I can trust someone like that. If he can change, then guess what? I can't trust him. He's constant. Look at the next one. And he's merciful. He's not only love. He's not only a good father. He's not only faithful. He's also unchanging. He's dependable. He's steadfast. But he's also merciful. Psalms 86. Look at verse 5. Amplified Bible. For you, O Lord, are good and ready to forgive our trespasses, sending them away, letting them go completely and forever. And you are abundant in mercy and loving kindness to all those who call upon you. Oh, doesn't that bless your heart? Because you see, whenever we feel guilt or condemnation, what does it do to your faith? It paralyzes your faith. We've all been there before. You've done something wrong and it paralyzes your faith. Why? Because the devil, like a neon sign, just begins to blurt it out before you and shine the line on it that you made a mistake, you're a failure, etc., etc. But that verse says that God is merciful. How many of you know that God is so merciful that it's, in his eyes, mercy precedes judgment? Remember the days of Nineveh and how the prophet was said to go there and tell the people, lest they repent, I'm going to wipe them off the planet. 
And what about Jonah? He didn't want to go. There's something fishy about that man, that prophet. Real fishy. You know that. Well, he didn't go. Don't shake your head, Dante. He was in a well of a problem. Right? I'm telling you. I better stop. He knew God was merciful. He knew if he went there and said, if you don't repent, you're going to be judged. He knew mercy precedes judgment. You know James 2.13, what it talks about? If you don't show mercy, you won't be shown mercy. And Psalm 18.25 says, unto the merciful, you'll show yourself merciful, and the upright, show yourself upright. What is he saying? God is a merciful God, and Jonah didn't want the people to have mercy. He wanted them to have what? Judgment. But judgment, tri mercy triumphs over judgment, James 2.13 says. And so when we show mercy, we'll be shown merciful. M mercy. Remember Jesus said in uh, what? The Beatitudes, Matthew 5, verse 7, I believe it's to the merciful. He'll show himself merciful, right? Okay. So, so Jonah knew if they repented, they'd be shown mercy and they wouldn't be destroyed. He was so angry with his people, he wanted them destroyed. And so he refused to go. You know the story. He refused to go. God is merciful. He is so merciful and so forgiving. You'll see, look at this verse, Lamentations 22. He knew this about us. <laughs> we should know it about ourselves as well. By faithful love, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh every year. Every month. Every week. What is mercy? Not giving us what we deserve. What is mercy? Love. Love rising above what? Even justice. Justice is what uh, Jonah wanted. Justice. These people are awful people. Kill them. And God says, no, I want to be merciful first. And so he was merciful. They repented. And of course, Jonah was upset. But that's crazy. But God is a merciful God. Look at Psalms 103. So so powerful. Look at verse 8 through 12. This is, again, the New Living Translation. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us, nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love toward those that who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far as from the east, as the, as the east is from the west. And if you recall, not too long ago, I did a calculation. I just went to some studies and see how far the high, how high it is above the earth. Look it up. Light years away. Isn't that wonderful? Wonderful. God is merciful. So we put it all together. God is love. God is a good father. God is faithful. God is unchanging. And God is merciful. And what does all that say? We can trust him. Because you see, when we're full of guilt and condemnation, have you been there before? You kind of don't feel like your faith is working. But when you know that you've been forgiven, what happens? You have confidence toward God. So, look at the next one, Isaiah 43, and we'll close here just a couple more verses. Look at verse 25. I, this is again the new living. I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake and will never... Think of them 
again. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Hallelujah. Never even think of them again. And then finally, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. How important it is for us to know at this time, the world out there is suffering. The world out there is in need. People are running in fear when it comes to COVID-19. <laughs> Anyhow, look at this last one, 2 Corinthians 5, 19. Look at what it says. For God was in Christ, reconciled the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of what? Reconciliation. What is he wanting us to tell the world, the people of the world? Look, God loves you. God is a good father. God is faithful. God is unchanging. God is merciful. So no matter what you've done, Nineveh, I want you to know something. Judgment, tri uh, mercy triumphs over judgment. God wants to show you mercy and not judgment. Can you say amen? amen? Even when we miss the mark, what does God want to show us? Mercy, not judgment. Praise God. He loves us above that. And so thank God we can conclude by saying that Jesus came to this earth. He revealed to us the characteristics of the Father. And he revealed him to be a good, loving, caring, merciful, unchanging, faithful, dependable God that we can what? Trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Commit your way to the Lord and trust also in Him. And this is someone we can trust because now we know His character. We know that He won't change. And we know if He said He'll do something, He will do it because He has integrity. Let's all stand together before the Lord.